0: The Lord calls us to worship this morning from the book of Psalms, chapter 147. Praise the Lord, for it is good to sing to the Lord, to sing praises to our God, for it is pleasant and praise is beautiful. The Lord builds up Jerusalem. He gathers together the outcasts of Israel. He heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. He counts the number of the stars. He calls them all by name. Great is our Lord and mighty in power. His understanding is infinite. The Lord lifts up the humble. He casts the wicked down to the ground. Amen. Great God in heaven, we lift up our hearts to you together today as your people, the church. And Lord, we desire in our hearts that we would worship you in a pleasing way. And we ask that you would fill us with your spirit today, that all we say and do, the singing from our lips, the melody in our heart, the words that we say, and the scriptures that we read, that everything we do would be to honor and glorify you and to raise up the name of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. We confess it is you who have made us and not we ourselves. And we desire to bring honor and glory to Jesus alone and to lift up the truth of his word. And Lord, we join our hearts together now as we pray, as you taught your disciples to pray, saying out loud, our father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. This morning for our confession of faith, we're going to be reciting together the Apostles' Creed. It's on page 845. In the green pendulum, if you would like to read it from there. I'm going to begin by asking you, Christian, what do you believe? I believe in God the Father Almighty, the maker of heaven and earth, and, and in Jesus Christ, Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. Hear these words of assurance from the book of Jeremiah chapter 31, beginning in verse 33. But this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts, and I will be their God and they shall be my people. No more shall every man teach his neighbor and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall know me. From the least of them to the greatest of them, says the Lord. For I will remember their iniquity and their sin. I will remember no more. Amen. As we continue to worship this morning, take your hymnal and turn to hymn number 38. We'll be singing Immortal, Invisible, God Only Wise. come forward at this time for the children's ceremony. Good morning, boys and girls. There we go. I got one. Good morning, boys and girls. It's good to see you. This morning we're going to talk about the Apostles' Creed and the phrase that we said this morning, that Jesus, we believe, sitteth at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. And where is the right hand of God the Father Almighty? Up in
1: heaven.
0: Up in heaven. We said last week that we believe Jesus ascended into heaven. And in the Bible, to sit at the right hand of someone is a place of honor and authority and of power. We say when we believe that Jesus Sitteth at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. That He sits there because He has been honored to be there. And because He is God. You believe that? That Jesus is the Son of God who truly is a person of the Trinity? We believe that. Right, church? That's true. He is the Son of God. We also say that He is, because He is sitting at the right hand of God, that He is now reigning and ruling in heaven. It's not something that we look to one day in the future. Jesus is on the throne ruling and reigning. Though we do look for the fullest fulfillment of it later when he comes again with great glory and will be visible. The Bible says that he rules and reigns right now. So that means that you can pray to him and so can I. That he would act on our behalf. That he would use his great glorious power for the benefit of his church and the glory of his name. The last thing that we say that we believe is some specific things about what he's doing now for you and for me. Do you know what the Bible says Jesus is doing for you right now, children? Anybody? Says that he's praying, he's interceding on behalf of his people, that he's pouring out his spirit on his children, that he's helping them to know how to live and what way to walk and how to understand His Word, the Bible. So as you pray to Him and say, Lord, help me to understand this, He will do it. He will answer. Because that's exactly what He's doing, sitting on His throne in heaven. And He's lastly also with you in your deepest and darkest days. Have you ever been afraid of anything? We had some pretty loud thunder and lightning last night. And I, I was shaking a little bit. It was It was pretty strong, wasn't it? And even when you're afraid, even in those moments, Jesus is with you. And when you pray to Him, He promises to take care of you and to care for you. So I'm going to pray for you now, okay? Let's pray. Father in heaven, I thank You for our covenant children and the promise of blessing that You have made to them, that You would be their God and that they would be Your people. Lord, I pray for them and all of our covenant children, that You would hold them in Your mighty hand that by your grip they would not be lost, not one of them. And Lord, I pray that they would know the truth, the truth of the gospel that Jesus is sitting on the throne because he has accomplished everything that the Father sent him to do. Lord, I pray that we would worship you now and continue to worship as we raise up the name of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thank you. This morning, for our responsive reading, we're going to be reading uh, Psalm 87. It's on page 815 in your hymnal. Psalm 87, page 815. I'll begin with the light portion. Please respond out loud together with the bold. He has set his foundation on the holy mountain. The Lord loves the gates of Zion more than all the dwellings of Jacob. I will record Rahab and Babylon among those who acknowledge me. Indeed, of Zion it will be said, this one and that one were born in her. The Lord will write in the register of the peoples. This one was born in Zion. As, music, will sing. All in As we continue to worship, turn in your hymnal now to page 95. Let's stand and sing together, though troubles assail us. the video that we did this morning on the Ukraine and praying for our missionaries. I wanted to take our pastoral prayer time this morning to pray as our students and teachers go back to school this year. Many of you going back to school or have already started, and it is a time of of wonderful learning and excitement, but it's also a time of anxiety for some and, and worry, and as our teachers go out into the world and seek to be a light for the gospel in their classrooms, I wanted to pray that... Uh, the Lord would give him His grace and mercy and energy and strength to do it. And particularly also for uh, children who aren't going to school, but who go to the kitchen table or the dining room table and for our homeschooling mothers. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for the gift and the blessing that our children are. We thank You that we may pray now for our children as they uh, some have already started school and some are looking to start very soon. Lord, we pray that you would keep them safe in their schools, that it would be a place of learning and excitement and joy and fun as they meet their teachers and look up to them. Lord, we pray that you would inspire in them a, a sincere desire for learning and love for others and that their love for you would be what fuels their, their minds and their hearts. Lord, I pray for their teachers and for our teachers, those in our midst who are going out to teach in schools, Whether here or abroad, Lord, I pray that you would comfort them. Give them energy and strength for a new school year. Where maybe the summer was short for them, or there wasn't as much preparation as they had hoped. Lord, I pray that you would be their strength. Be what they rely on. Lord, I pray that you would give them grace to be light in dark places. And as they interact with their students, some of whom come from homes that are not complete, they are broken at best. Lord, I pray that you would help our teachers to have energy to be a light. That in the midst of the bureaucracy and everything else that happens in schools, Lord, I pray that you would save and secure for them energy to love students in their classrooms, people who need to hear the gospel through the way that they live. And Lord, I pray that you would help them to share the love of Jesus in their classrooms. Help them to be firm and a good example and someone that their students can look up to. And Lord, I do pray for divine appointments In in their path, that they would be able to share the love of Jesus, even in how they treat their students, that they would be a light. Lord, I pray that you would help them to still have a sincere love for teaching and learning. And I pray all of these things, Lord, also for our, our homeschooling families, those who are not going out to school and not riding to school, but going across the house to the living room or to the kitchen or dining room. And I pray for the mothers who are teaching that they would have a lot of joy and satisfaction in it this year, and that all of our students would love to learn, and most of all, Lord, that they would learn about You and Your great name and Your great love for them. Lord, we pray as we continue in our service of worship now that You would pour out Your Holy Spirit on us, Your people, that we would see and behold the beauty of Jesus in the Gospel, and that we would see that He is the most beautiful, lovely person in all the world. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. At this time, we're going to have a special solo from Miss Pam (coughs) Rambo. invite you to open your Bibles to the Old Testament book of Ruth. Ruth chapter 4. We're going to be reading this morning verses 1 through 12. Ruth chapter 4, verses 1 through 12. This is the word of the Lord. Now Boaz went up to the gate and sat down there. And behold the close relative of whom Boaz had spoken, came by. So Boaz said, Come aside, friend, sit down here. So he came aside and sat down. And he took ten men of the elders of the city and said, Sit down here. So they sat down. Then he said to the close relative, Naomi, who has come back from the country of Moab, sold the piece of land which belonged to our brother Elimelech. And I thought to inform you, saying, Buy it back in the presence of the inhabitants and the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, redeem it. But if you will not redeem it, then tell me, that I may know, for there is no one but you to redeem it, and I am next after you. And he said, I will redeem it. Then Boaz said, On the day that you buy the field from the hand of Naomi, you must also buy it from Ruth the Moabitess, the wife of the dead to perpetuate the name of the dead through his inheritance. And the close relative said, I cannot redeem it for myself, lest I ruin my own inheritance. You redeem my right of redemption for yourself, for I cannot redeem it. Now this was the custom in former times in Israel, concerning redeeming and exchanging. To confirm anything, one man took off his sandal and gave it to the other. And this was a confirmation in Israel. Therefore, the close relative said to Boaz, Buy it yourself. So he took off his sandal. And Boaz said to the elders and all the people, You are witnesses this day that I have bought all that was Elimelech's and all that was Killian's and Malin's from the hand of Naomi. Moreover, Ruth the Moabitess, the widow of Mahlon, I have acquired as my wife to perpetuate the name of the dead that the name of the dead and his inheritance may not be cut off from among his brethren and from his position at the gate. You are my witnesses this day. And all the people who were at the gate and the elders said, We are witnesses. The Lord make the woman who is coming to your house like Rachel and Leah, the two who built the house of Israel, and may you prosper in Ephrathah and be famous in Bethlehem. May your house be like the house of Perez, Whom Tamar bore to Judah, because of the offspring which the Lord will give you from this young woman. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God abides forever. This morning's sermon is entitled, Delight in God's Law. Today we are very close to nearing the end of our series, searching for a Redeemer in the Old Testament book of Ruth, as we begin chapter 4. Last week, Ruth and Boaz met at midnight on the threshing floor. And she proposed to him and said, Would you please do the duty of a kinsman redeemer for me? And he accepted. He said, Yes, all that you have asked of me, I will do. But there is someone who is closer relative than me, who actually has the right before I do. So we could hear the wedding bells in the distance. And as Boaz said to her, I imagine her heart sank as he said, There's someone else. And so chapter 4 is the story of what's taking place at the city gate. As the curtain falls on the last scene in chapter 3, Naomi told her daughter-in-law Ruth to sit still and wait to see how it will turn out. The man will not rest until this matter is settled today. And chapter 4 opens at that city gate. And we shall see how Boaz is a man of integrity who delights in the law of God. Number one, I want to answer the question this morning from this text, what's in a name? What's in a name? Number two, the matter concluded, and lastly, doing math God's way. Doing math God's way. So number one, what's in a name? This closer relative that we hear about in verse 1, the narrator seems to go out of the way to keep that name from us. Even in the Hebrew, as Boaz spoke to this man, and it says, Behold, the man came by. And that should be a marker for us, something that we almost just assume. Here is another way that God is working in the life of His people. Boaz had just sat down at the gate, and behold, the man he's looking for just happened to walk by. You should see that in your own life, that things just don't happen by happenstance. They happen because God is bringing them to pass. But it says in the Hebrew, it it tells us us that this man's name was basically Mr. So-and-so. Boaz called him friend. Just come on by and sit here. He doesn't call his name. The narrator leaves it out, and it's almost as if we're to wonder, was this on purpose? Did he not tell us who this man was on purpose? And there's a conversation that happens. In the first 12 verses, there could have been any time to mention the man's name, but he's not mentioned more about this later and why this might be actually on purpose. We see repetition in verse 5 and then two times in verse 10. Boaz gives reason for why the name of the dead is to be perpetuated. Boaz holds this up as a primary purpose for the man who is the kinsman redeemer. It's something that he's supposed to do. And I don't believe that this is a maneuver in verse 5 to get the closer relative to back out. I don't think he's repeating himself so that he'll feel the weight of it. I believe it's important to Boaz that this is done. It's a significant part of fulfilling the role of a kinsman redeemer. The family name, along with the family land, the inheritance that had been given by God's promise was significant. And it was all tied up for Boaz and for God's people in this role as a kinsman redeemer. That the land would stay with the family. That the name of the man who was dead would be continued. All of these things are wrapped up in what Boaz is talking about with this close relative there at the gate that day. It was a duty of God's law. It was specified for God's people in Deuteronomy 25 and Leviticus 25 to preserve the family. And for the people of God to continue to see the generational faithfulness of God to his people. That's why Boaz calls to the people after the closer relative gives him his sandal. And he says, you buy back the land. You redeem it. I'm waiving my right to do it. Boaz says twice in those verses at the at the first part of this chapter, you are witnesses. And the people respond, we are witnesses. We see what God is doing here through you. And we acknowledge that it was done legally and right." And in the right company of people. He has the elders and the passers by who happen to be there. But lastly, what's in a name? The name of the God of Israel, Jehovah. You remember Elimelech's name, who we met in chapter 1. His name means, My God is King. And the question that's been hanging over the book of Ruth like a banner as we have been going through it is, Is God King? Is He king over the earth? Is He king over His people? Will He redeem His people? Does He care for them? Will He provide for them? Even in their wandering disobedience, will He be faithful to them even if they are not faithful to Him? That question has been hanging over these many weeks as we've looked at these passages. Proverbs chapter 18, verse 10 says that the name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run to it And are safe. Is God king? Will He provide? Will He redeem? If not, all the schemes of man come to nothing. That's what we see in this passage, in this book, in this beautiful love story of God's love for His people. Yes, there is a romance between Boaz and between Ruth. But the love story that is being written, and we should see, is that the same God who loves these people is the one who says He has put His covenant love on us. And though we yet remain unfaithful, He cannot change. He is faithful to His people. He loves us. Secondly, the matter concluded. And you see the setting here. It's at the city gate. This is where meetings took place and legal business was transacted. The close relative is there. Boaz is there. Boaz decided to bring some elders. He brought ten elders of the people. Meaning there probably were more. But those who were milling about the city gate were there. And he said, please come over here and sit. So they did. They understood. There's some business about to be done and we need to be there. And it says in verse 4 that there were inhabitants. And then in verse 11, the people who were at the gate, as business was being done, as conversations were had, they were public. It was outside. Can you imagine just going to the city gate and discussing all these personal things and transacting land and having a conversation? That's what they were doing. So people are interested. They're hearing somebody heard the name Naomi and Elimelech. We haven't heard that name around here in a while. So they're interested. They want to know what's going on. And the proposition that's made in verse 3, Naomi has a piece of land for sale that belonged to our brother Elimelech. You're the closest relative. So Boaz says, will you exercise your right as the kinsman redeemer? You're the first person in line. It's your right to exercise and no one else's. But would you please tell me if you're not going to do it? Because if you waive it, I want to know. Because I, Boaz, am next. And I want to step in line. One can easily imagine hearing all of this. The man knew. Naomi is an older lady. Her sons are dead. Her husband's dead. She's not likely to get married. And he's kind of smiling to himself saying, What good fortune I have today to walk through the city gate when I did. This man, Boaz, my relative, is telling me that for very little money, I can carry out a respected family duty, care for Naomi in her older, advanced age, and that for all of that, I can even perhaps advance my own civic reputation. Financially, this investment is going to be a bargain for me and for my family with very little risk. There were no known heirs to Elimelech's Land, no person who would come and try to reclaim the title to the property, and Naomi is not likely to have any more children at all. So, this is a sure thing. Of course, he says, I will redeem it in verse 4. This is merely transactional. This is a smart business deal. Who would pass this up? I'm going to take care of her, provide for her for a few years. Jehovah will call her home. Then I have the land in full. I can pass it on to my children. I have a good reputation for being a godly guy, and I have more in my coffers, more in my bank account. Who wouldn't do this? And then in verse 5, Boaz says, but by the way, you also have to buy it from Ruth the Moabitess. And then he adds that particular special line to perpetuate the name of the dead. This is the linchpin for Boaz. This is an important part of being a man of integrity. You can be the kinsman redeemer. You can have the field. But this other part is the linchpin for him. Because in Israel, for a family name to be extinct, to go away, was a horrible thing. It was a shameful thing. It meant that somehow they had either made decisions or God had removed His hand from them and their family name would live no more. And no longer would their land that had been given to them as an inheritance from the Lord, no longer would they have it. It was a shame if this would happen. And then he says in verse 6, I can't take it. He says, I'm waiving my right as the kinsman redeemer. I can't do it. And he passes it on to Boaz. You take my right. You exercise it. I can't. And then in verse 7, we get an explanation. And it's interesting that we're getting an explanation about something that's happening in their time. But it must have been something that took place before, but no longer was happening at the time of the writing of the book of Ruth. So it's explained for us, but it's also explained for those who received this writing. A custom where if something was being redeemed or exchanged, the man who was giving the right away would take off his shoe, his sandal, and give it to the other man as a testament. This is done right and in order, decently. And I won't say anything else about it. There's no further claims I have. I've given my right away. So they make an agreement in verses 8 and 9. The man gives Boaz his sandal. He puts it in his hand. And Boaz formalizes his intentions legally. In verse 9, he says, You are witnesses this day that I am redeeming everything that belonged to Elimelech and to Malin and Kilian by the hand of Naomi. And also I plan to, it is my desire and my intention to take Ruth the Moabitess as my wife to perpetuate the name of the dead that the name of the dead might not be cut off from his brethren and from his position at the gate. That name was never to go away. It was not to be extinct. God's people were seeing redemption happening. They were on the verge of extinction. And here we see God working on their behalf. And lastly, in this section, we see the affirmation and blessing in verse 11 and 12. They say in response to Boaz, we are witnesses. And then unexpectedly, they say a blessing. And this has been the, the habit in this book. That when blessings are given you get a part maybe that you might expect that might be culturally expected to say. But then you get something beyond that that seems to point to God being afoot in what's happening in people's lives. They say, may the woman coming into your home, this Ruth the Moabitess, be like Rachel and Leah. May you prosper in your clan in Ephrathah and town in Bethlehem. And may your house be like Perez, the one which pretty much everybody there at the gate descended from. May your house be like Perez, whom Tamar, Tamar bore to Judah, because of the children the Lord will give you. And you're sitting there thinking maybe, and maybe the people who heard this are thinking, scratching their heads. Well, don't you know that Ruth came from Moab and she didn't bring any children? She had been married to Malin for many years, about ten years, and it seems that she's barren. She doesn't have children. So thank you for the nice, kind words, but she's not having children. And yet we see God is at work in this. He's at work even in this blessing. I just want to point out a couple of things about the blessing that was sent. They said let Ruth be to you like Rachel and Leah. When we looked in Sunday school a couple of weeks ago, it's actually Leah the oldest and Rachel the youngest. Leah had four children before Rachel had any. You could see this in Genesis 28-29. to But note the order that was given here by the people. They said Rachel and Leah. We see that God is not fixed by the social customs of the day. That the older would come before the younger. That the one who would be expected to be a blessing is not always the one who is. And then, this would have been something deeply in their minds and hearts. They said, let her be like Tamar who bore Perez to Judah. Well, if you know anything about Tamar and Judah and Perez, Judah means praise. He was Jacob's son, and this was a name, a family name, that had a scandalous origin. It was not a beacon of light. Tamar wasn't wasn't giving Perez in what would be normal circumstances. I'll just point you to read in Genesis chapter thirty-eight. But like Ruth, Tamar was a foreigner who perpetuated a family line that was threatened with extinction, one which later became Judah's leading house, the house of Perez, and thereby gaining for herself fame as a founding mother of a family of God's people. Tamar was a foreigner. How interesting that her name would be used in a blessing on Boaz and Ruth. The speaker anticipates here, almost expecting, that even though it might seem impossible that Ruth doesn't have any children to date, They're expecting that Elimelech will have an heir and also that Boaz is going to have children. So not only will she have one to take care of the family name of Elimelech, but they are saying we expect that she will give you more and that your house will be great and wonderful. And who else could do that but Jehovah, the living God. And lastly, I want to look at doing math God's way. And some of you are starting school or maybe you've already started. And math is an interesting thing. It's a wild beast at times. But one of the things that you notice as you read this story is that the prerequisite here is not book smarts or a keen eye or being great with numbers, but a transformed mind. Have you ever had to learn a new kind of math and thought at first, this is a totally different language. This isn't even English. English you can read it and and write it, but I don't even know what I just wrote. I'm not sure what I'm seeing. I want to talk about this in two ways very briefly. Number one, how we look at the opportunities that God puts in front of us. What is first and primary and carries the most weight for you? Consider the questions and the opportunity and the risks in front of Mr. So-and-so here, Mr. No-Name, the guy that we don't hear from. It was a potential investment nightmare after Boaz told him that you also have to buy it back from Ruth the Moabitess. If there was by chance a child born to Ruth, the Redeemer would lose the field and there would be no benefit to his own children and to his estate to compensate for all the costs that would be involved in taking care of Ruth and Naomi and perhaps Ruth's children. In other words, this man was interested in ministry to the poor only if there was a payoff for himself. And for his family. And so he asked the question. Costly ministry without personal payoff? Forget it. The irony is though. As he sought to hedge his bets. And take care of his own name. That seeking to protect his legacy in the way that he did. And walking away from what was a clear opportunity in the law of God. For God's people to be faithful to one another. He ended up leaving himself nameless in the history of God's people. Missing out on having a share in the biggest legacy of all. A place in God's plan of salvation for his people. Boaz took a much different course. He took a sacrificial approach. And he embraced the opportunity to leave a legacy for someone else. He said, my name is not nearly as important as his. That's a place of humility. And we wonder at that and say, why would you do that? The beginning thought and questions for a child of God who looks at life or looks at situations and opportunities in front of you. It cannot be, what is in it for me? Or will it fulfill me? Will I enjoy it? Or what will it cost me? The reason this man got the answer wrong was because he started with the wrong assumptions. He didn't even write down the equation correctly. So there was no way he was going to get to the right answer. He thought it was his wealth plus his choices and hard work and etc. equals success or failure in his life. But he left God entirely out of the equation. And those of you that are students know if you're writing out the equation wrong and you leave out a pivotal part of it, you're not going to get the right answer. And he had left God out completely. How do you look at the options in life in front of you? Do you factor in God in it at all? In decision making. Do you see Him at work in it at all? As a child of God who professes faith in Him, are there visible steps and risks that you take because of covenant obedience where God must provide, where you say, Lord, if you don't do it, it won't happen. If you don't build it, it won't be built. Are there specific times and places where you can see obedience in your life not only to the letter of the law, but also to the spirit of it as well, as we see in the man Boaz, this man of integrity. And secondly, lastly, that the path to fullness in the Bible usually runs through emptiness for us. Naomi lost everything and was finally able to receive the blessing of God. Ruth had risked everything in covenant faithfulness to Naomi and to the God of Israel over and over in this story. She left her homeland, her family, her parents, She left the prospects of a husband and a future and a hope. Boaz risked his wealth and reputation, his own good name, by marrying a foreigner. He risked public embarrassment to provide for Naomi and to take Ruth the foreigner as his wife. And yet he delighted in the provisions of God's law and saw fullness for him in them. He said, even though it may not make sense to everyone else, even though this might look like a terrible idea... I believe that the Lord is in it. And because His Word says that we should be faithful to this family, I can't help but be obedient. And even though I may not be able to explain to you how I know He will provide, I have seen Him do it over and over and over again. Proverbs chapter 10, verse 22 says, "...the blessing of the Lord makes one rich, and He adds no sorrow to it." Proverbs chapter 11, verse 25, "...the generous soul will be made rich." And he who waters will himself also be watered. And lastly, look at this story and see in it the humiliation and the exaltation of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. I will read briefly for you from Philippians chapter 2, verses 8 through 11. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Therefore God has highly exalted Him and given Him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of those in heaven and of those on the earth and of those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. If this was the path for Jesus Christ, the Son of God, then we should be encouraged that this is the same kind of path that our Heavenly Father, will call us to walk as well. This whole part of the story of this book has been about keeping a name for a people. And we see that Jesus was given a name. But it was through lowliness and humility that Jesus received that name. It was in obedience, even though He did not have all of the answers. Though being the Son of God, He absolutely did. He entrusted Himself, the Bible says, to the one that He knew would raise Him up. He knew exactly who held Him. Because it was his father. And that's what we see in Boaz. He trusted God. He knew that he would provide and care for him. Because he belonged to him. I want to ask you today. Do you delight in God's will? In obedience to him? Do you see him as the great faithful provider? Is he the covenant God who takes care of you? you, Who redeems you? And who takes care of your name? Let's pray together. Father we thank you. For the great name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And we bow before You, saying and admitting that He is the true Son of God, the One who came to give His life a ransom for sinners like us, that we might be redeemed and we might have hope. Lord, we rest our hope in You today. We cry out and confess that we are not able to do the things that You can. And we pray, Lord, that You would show Yourself strong in our lives. Make us people who delight in Your Word, who get into it every day and read it and feed upon it that we may feed on the Lord Jesus Christ and all that He has for us in the Gospel. Lord, I pray that You would help us to see in our lives opportunities that You give us to trust You by faith, that You are the one providing. You are the one who takes care of us. May we lean upon You as You provide for all that we need. In Jesus' name, Amen. Let's stand together and sing hymn number 618, His Eye is on the Sparrow. And I'll just point out that in your bulletin, there is a refrain printed that we will sing after each stanza. Hymn number 618, His eye is on the sparrow. to the glory of God. Father in heaven, we thank you and acknowledge all of the gifts that you have freely given to us. That it is out of your storehouses of grace and mercy that we receive everything that we have. And we dedicate this now, our tithes and offerings to you, for the sake of the gospel. That the word of the Lord Jesus Christ and his great name and the fame of his name would spread throughout this state and this nation and throughout the world. That people who do not know you, lost people who the Bible says, are dying and going to hell every day. Lord, that the gospel would spread, that lost souls would hear it, and that they would believe in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ by faith. We pray, Lord, that we would have a lot of joy and delight in giving, that we would look to you, the one who provides for all of our needs. In Jesus' name, amen. Benediction, a special thank you to Miss Becky and Miss Pam for sharing your gifts with us today and blessing us. Receive the benediction of our Lord. The love and grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father, and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen.